In many cases, when a woman is murdered, their partner becomes the main suspect. But sometimes the killer is someone else who is close to home. Our moment in crime is the murder of Barbara Mullenix. The collapsed bed frame and blood spatter on the bedroom wall indicated that this was where 56-year-old Barbara Mullenix lost her life. Detectives Steve Mack and Joe Cartwright had arrived at a condo at the Millstream Condominium Complex in Huntington Beach, California, looking for the condo's owner, Bruce Mullenix. Bruce had been divorced from Barbara for a few years, but they were living together for the sake of their daughter, 17-year-old Rachel. Barbara gave birth to Rachel in 1989, when the family lived in Oklahoma City. Rachel grew up with her half-brother Alex, Barbara's son from a previous marriage. According to Rachel, her childhood was like Disneyland, but at school, Rachel was known as the girl with alcoholic parents. Exactly why Barbara turned to alcohol isn't known, but at 18 she became pregnant after being raped. She decided to put the baby girl up for adoption, hoping that she would have a good home. In court, Bruce described Barbara as a, quote, crazy mean drunk, end quote. Rachel felt the need to avoid her mother when she was drunk. Bruce also told the court that Barbara was physically abusive towards Rachel. Speaking about Barbara, Bruce said, Her mother had problems. No one knows how bad it was other than Rachel and myself. I loved Barbara, I married her, I had a daughter with her, but yeah, she was that bad. Barbara's drinking caused tension between mother and daughter, and the tension led to fights. Rachel said that in July 2002, the police were called after Barbara hit her. No charges were filed, as Rachel retracted her story, and the police doubted that the attack had taken place. A couple of years later, Rachel used a knife to cut her mother's arms. Barbara's struggle with alcohol contributed to her divorce from Bruce, and after the divorce was finalised, Barbara moved with Rachel to Tampa, Florida. But things became tough financially, causing Bruce to request that Rachel live with him in his new residence in Huntington Beach. Rachel wanted Barbara to move in too, and after Bruce agreed, mother and daughter moved to California in 2005. It seemed that life in the Golden State would be a turning point in Barbara and Rachel's relationship. They both got jobs as movie extras, something that must have been an exciting experience for Barbara, who was a film fanatic. But in May 2006, Rachel met 21-year-old Ian Wesley Allen and the pair started a relationship. At first, Bruce and Barbara accepted Ian, even giving him a written permission slip to show the authorities that he was allowed to date their daughter after Rachel asked for the note. In exchange, Rachel was expected to follow rules set by her parents, such as obeying her 1am curfew. Rachel was also allowed by Barbara to attend an alternative school once a week so that she could spend time with Ian. But tension began to rise again between Rachel and Barbara. 
Bruce said that Rachel was being controlled by her mother and her boyfriend and that Barbara and Ian would compete for Rachel's attention. In the summer of 2006, Rachel broke her curfew one night, choosing to spend the night at Ian's. After her phone calls to Rachel went unanswered, Barbara drove over to Ian's place, where she found Rachel sleeping. Barbara was angry, and so was Ian, who didn't like that Barbara had showed up at his place. Rachel was grounded, and a few days later, Barbara gave Rachel permission to see a movie. But not long after this, Barbara was found dead. On the 14th of September 2006, Barbara was found floating in Newport Bay. She had been wrapped in a blanket and stuffed into a cardboard TV box, which fell apart once in the water. Bloodied bedding was found crammed into a nearby trash can. Cuts on her hands showed that Barbara had tried to defend herself, but 50 stab wounds inflicted by three different knives ultimately claimed her life. The attack on Barbara was so severe that her jugular vein had been cut and a butter knife protruded from one of her eyes. Serial numbers on her breast implants led to Barbara being identified. When detectives realised that Barbara hadn't been reported missing, they went straight to Bruce's condo. No one was home. A search warrant was granted and detectives Mack and Cartwright began looking around the condo. The mattress and box spring were missing from Barbara's bedroom and were soon found smouldering not far from the condo. The detectives needed to speak to Bruce. Not only had his ex-wife been killed, but his daughter was missing. Bruce arrived home the next day. He'd left a business trip early after being unable to contact Barbara and Rachel. Detective Mack felt that Bruce had reacted too calmly when told about Barbara's murder. Had Bruce snapped because of Barbara's alcoholism? When Bruce's alibi was confirmed, the investigators knew they had to look for another suspect. The night Barbara was killed, a neighbour had seen someone dragging a large object out of the condo. They watched as two people threw the object into the back of a car that had a Florida licence plate. It would be a while before test results would back up the theory being formed by detectives, but a sponge soaked in Barbara's blood had been left on a nightstand and that sponge had Rachel's DNA on it. The investigation began to focus on Rachel, but first they needed to find her. Ian's computer revealed that a search for directions to Tampa, Florida had been made. Rachel still had friends in Tampa. Troopers in Texas and Louisiana were told to be on the lookout for a black Ford Ranger. Rachel's whereabouts were narrowed even further when Ian used his credit card at a gas station in Sulphur, Louisiana. Security cameras had recorded his truck's presence at the gas station and Rachel was recorded walking freely around the store. As Ian and Rachel drove along I-10, the Lafayette Parish Police, who had been told of the situation, pulled the truck over and arrested the couple. Rachel and Ian were put in a police car together, unaware that their conversation was being recorded. 
Rachel was overheard telling Ian things that would be used against her later on. Rachel wanted Ian to plead insanity, to remember to take the fall and to say he'd kidnapped her. By now, detectives were sure that Rachel and Ian had killed Barbara. The prosecution would later argue that the amount of wounds that Barbara had, coupled with the severity of them, showed that Rachel and Ian had attacked her together. Pathologist Sean Enlow agreed, saying that it was likely that two people had been involved in the murder. Apart from her DNA being present on the sponge, however, no hard physical evidence linked Rachel to the crime. But other evidence began to pile up, and it was evidence that the prosecution could use to bolster their argument. In a diary entry written the day before Barbara died, Rachel wrote, I feel like I have to choose between my family and my love. I don't know what to do. Am I making the right decision? The meaning of this entry is certainly ambiguous, but Rachel said the entry was about running away with Ian, which she was planning to do the night Barbara was killed. But when questioned about the murder, Rachel said she was asleep. She awoke to her mother screaming her name. She told detectives that she found Ian stabbing Barbara and that when she tried to intervene, Ian pushed her against some furniture, knocking her out. When she regained consciousness, she was in a nearby motel, bound and gagged. Even though Ian backed up Rachel's story, saying he was the only one responsible for Barbara's murder, Rachel didn't have any injuries consistent with being knocked out and the motel the couple had mentioned had no record of Ian and Rachel staying with them. When on the stand later, however, Rachel's version of events differed slightly. She claimed that on the night Barbara died, she was waiting until her mother had fallen asleep to run away. She was then going to call Ian, who would come and pick her up. Instead, Ian suddenly showed up at Rachel's bedroom door and Barbara woke up. Barbara said she was going to call the police, which led to Ian following her into the bedroom. Rachel walked into the room to find Ian stabbing her mother. Rachel said she didn't receive any cuts while trying to stop Ian because she wasn't the one being attacked. After her mother died, Rachel had several opportunities while on the road to call the emergency services, but she didn't. The only phone call she made was to a friend who lived in Florida. But as investigators continued to study her phone records, they noted that in the three days leading up to the murder, over 464 texts had been sent between Rachel and Ian. Barbara had been killed on a Tuesday, and detectives felt that Rachel had been hinting at a plan to murder Barbara in her texts. One text read, we have only two options, run or Tuesday. Or another option, you apologise to my mom. You decide if you want to be with me. Rachel denied that run or Tuesday hinted at murder. She said this was a typo and that she meant to type run on Tuesday. The plan, Rachel said, was to run away, not kill. Another text read, 
After what my mom has done to you, you can do whatever you want as long as you don't get hurt or in trouble. Minutes before the murder, Rachel sent Ian a text that read, I think my mom went to bed. Ian responded with, It must be quiet. Rachel replied with, She woke up and she locked both her bedroom doors. Detective Matt came to believe that Rachel had been manipulating Ian, making him think that Barbara was out to get him and that this was why he took part in her murder. Rachel went to trial in 2008. The prosecutor argued that Rachel decided to murder her mother after she was grounded for breaking her 1am curfew a few weeks previously. Rachel was adamant that she wasn't responsible for Barbara's death. Rachel cried as her father testified about Barbara's alcoholism and the physical abuse she had inflicted on her daughter. Rachel admitted that she had texted Ian as he disposed of evidence, saying, I love you. Am I going to see you soon? Are you in trouble? Can I call you? Her defence team said that Rachel had been diagnosed with a borderline personality disorder. When being interviewed on 48 Hours, child psychiatrist Dr Al Ravitz doubted that Rachel was the one who planned the murder. He said that those with a borderline personality disorder are unable to plan long term. Dr Ravitz said, she may have been the instigator in the moment, but I don't think she was the mastermind. Rachel had to wait two and a half days to learn her fate when the jury retired to consider the verdict. Tears rolled down her face when the jury announced they'd found her guilty of one felony count of murder. At her sentencing, Rachel spoke to those at the hearing, saying... I don't care what the jury thought. I did not do that to my mother. I can't even believe this is happening to me. Rachel was sentenced to 25 years to life, with her first chance at parole being in 2030. Bruce believes his daughter is innocent. Ian was tried separately. His lawyers argued that Rachel carried out the murder adding that the only person who would stab Barbara in the eye would be her daughter. It was put forth that Ian took the blame because he loved Rachel. The prosecution told the jury that just days before the murder, Ian had told friends about his desire to kill Barbara, saying that he wanted to take her body by car to the desert and blow it up with explosives. A friend of his told the authorities that he jokingly told Ian to dump the body in water. Ian was also convicted of one felony count of murder and he too received a 25 years to life sentence. In the years after her trial, Rachel and her lawyers argued that she hadn't received a fair trial and asked for a new one. They said that the prosecution's statements, along with evidence the prosecution presented despite court orders not to do so, swayed the jury's opinion of Rachel. Rachel also felt that her age at the time should have caused the prosecutor to go easier on her. A new trial was not granted and Rachel remains behind bars. Barbara Mullenix was far from perfect. 
During her daughter's sentencing hearing, the district attorney's victim's advocate, Angela Teitzer, said that there was nothing about Barbara's faults that would justify what happened to her. She argued that Bruce and Rachel portrayed Barbara as an, quote, out-of-control, drunken abuser, end quote. Angela made it clear that she wants Rachel to spend her time thinking of her mother. Reading out her statement, Angela said, We can only hope that this image of her mutilated mother haunts her for the rest of her days.